Welcome to the Topeka First podcast. We are one church with several locations. Our mission is to reach our community with the message of Jesus. If you would like to give to support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please visit topekafirst.com giving. Enjoy the podcast. Good to see you. Hey, we're continuing a series on last words. As we journey towards celebrating Easter, we are talking about Jesus' last words. And Pastor Mike last week talked about it is finished. Um, so much of these messages overlap. But that's okay, because the cross is the central message of Jesus, right? I mean, the cross is, is if Jesus isn't going to cross, he doesn't die, then there's no resurrection, there, there's no reason to gather. And, and with all of that, Jesus' death on the cross changes everything for you and I. Without Jesus' death and resurrection, our lives are completely different. With Jesus' death and resurrection, our lives are completely different, right? It's a powerful thing when we understand the power of what Jesus did for us. We're going to navigate through just a little journey of some more of Jesus' last words. We're going to start in Luke 23, verse 26. It says this, as they led Jesus away, a man named Simon, who was from Cyrene, and then I want to just pause just for a moment, because we read that really quick, and we go, Cyrene, where is that? North Africa, you know, further away than Egypt, okay? So, so North Africa, very high concentration of settlers from Judaism in there at that point in time. And so what's he doing? He's coming to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. So he comes on his own just to be there and gets picked out of the crowd, carry a cross. Happening, coming in from the countryside, the soldiers seized him and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large crowd trailed behind, including many grief-stricken women. But Jesus turned and said to them, daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For the days are coming when they will say, fortunate indeed are the women who are childless, the wombs that have not borne a child and the breasts that have never nursed. People will beg the mountains, fall on us, and plead with the hills, bury us. For if these things are done when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. When they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. Luke shares with us incredible detail. He, he brings in details from all kinds of perspectives. Right? I mean, he includes the people in the crowd. He, he brings in a person like Simon from Cyrene. Can you, can you imagine with me for just a moment? You're just minding your own business, showing up in Jerusalem for the Passover. And you call them a crowd to carry a cross. See, the Romans would never carry a cross. The Romans would never help. The Romans were, were there's no way they were going to pick a Roman to carry a cross of a Jewish person. Simon happens to be there. He gets to carry the cross. But Jesus was, was nearly unconscious from the beatings and was simply unable to carry the cross. 
And for the Romans, crucifixion was a public spectacle. The Romans used it as a form of control. About 70 years before Jesus, the Romans crucified a bunch of people. In fact, there was about 5,000 of them that were crucified along the Appian Way. They were, they were rebels and part of the Spartacus Rebellion. And people, when that happened, they watched and they listened. The Romans used it as intimidation. And other people that are gathered around there that Luke gives us the, the account of is, is some women. They were weeping as they followed along, right? And so when we think about these women, they, Luke doesn't tell us who they are, but, but could they have just been paid mourners? Could they have been people who really were following Jesus, who were mourning over his death? See, because they actually had professionals that did that kind of stuff, what, whatever. I mean, I, when, I think about, when I think about crucifixion, when I think about what's happening here, I don't know how they could watch it. I'm not sure how they could become a spectacle, right? Because I can hardly handle watching boxing. And so when you look at that and you, you begin to see he, but, but, but Jesus in the physical condition he's in is in full control. He, he knows exactly what's going on. And so as these women are weeping, as they are mourning for him, he looks at them and says, don't, don't, don't weep for me. Weep for yourself. Now, can you imagine that? I mean, what they're thinking, right? These women have got to be like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're going to die. You're close as it is already. You're about to go to the cross, and you're telling us not to weep for you and to weep for ourselves? That's exactly what he says. He says, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves. And then he tells them something. You know, he tells them, he says, look, you're going to wish. You're going to wish you didn't have children. There's coming a day when you're going to wish that women are going to wish they didn't have children. And for somebody to say that in a, in a Jewish world is incredible. Jesus basically tells them, you're in a much worse situation than I am. Jesus knows his experience with death is ultimately going to bring life. The nation's rejection of Jesus is going to bring judgment. And so Josephus records, a historian, Josephus reports that the Romans crucified many people outside the walls of Jerusalem during the siege of Jerusalem in AD 70, right? So in AD 70, there, there's a siege of Jerusalem, that's when the temple's destroyed, all that stuff, all that stuff happens. So this is about, about 30, 40 years after Jesus, right? So, so this whole thing is going on, and after Jesus, and they get to the point where they're crucifying up to 500 people a day outside the walls of Jerusalem. They crucify so many people in that time frame that there's no wood left to crucify people. That's why he says to them, mothers will wish they had no children 
Because when you watch the ch- your own child suffer, you don't want that, right? And so Jesus is very prophetic in what he's saying. He's saying, look, there's coming a day where you're not, you're, you're, most of you are going to wish you weren't alive. Well, I'm going to the cross. It's no big deal. I'm, I'm bringing life through my death. But it's going to be rough for you. It's incredible. Like he is so in control. He knows exactly what he's doing. And then we see, and it's read so matter-of-factly, it's just so simple, so quick. We, we get to that moment that Jesus utters words that are so hard to imagine he could say. Verse 32 says, two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. When they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. The criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. I mean, it's so simple, yet so painful. It was a normal occurrence, right? It was a regular thing. The Romans did it all the time. But this one was different. This one changed history. This one made such a difference that no one completely understood. I mean, they, they didn't really understand at the time. All of a sudden, this one death, this crucifixion, to change history. And in the midst of his suffering, in the midst of his pain, in the midst of his dying, he says in verse 34, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. Now, now when you think about that, Jesus' prayer here is powerful. It is also an illustration of exactly what's happening at that moment. He's illustrating and he's communicating exactly what's taking place. His death is for forgiveness of people. His death is going to bring redemption. His his death is going to set people free. He's dying, but he's taking upon himself the sin of everyone so that we might be forgiven. 2 Corinthians 5.21 in the NIV says this way, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I mean, think about that for just a moment. Those who were sinful, those who were sin-filled, those who were on a desperate, disastrous course with eternity were suddenly made righteous because of Jesus' death. He brings freedom, and he makes us. The righteousness of God. The New Testament uses all kinds of images to describe what the cross means for us. It's a ransom. It's a payment for for the debt of sin. It's a substitution. Jesus offers himself in our place. It's a propitiation. It's, It's a satisfying the justice of God by dealing with sin. It represents the lifting up of Jesus. And through it, Satan is overthrown. It's the means by which the church is purchased. It's the sacrifice that ends all of their sacrifices. It's the precursor to the Lord's being lifted up and seated at God's side. It's the basis on which God sets apart his children as a holy community. On the cross, Jesus became a curse for us a mediator of our guilt before God. At that moment, reconciliation takes place between God and humanity, as well as between Jew and Gentile. So God can now 
justify us. That is, declare us righteous before Him. Like, it couldn't happen before. When you think about all the, 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 the sacrifices that took place, all the things that were going on, all of a sudden it changes in this moment at the cross. The cross is at its heart the offer of God's gracious forgiveness to those who embrace it. To, to embrace the cross means to kind of put aside our works as the basis of salvation. Like, we can't do anything to get to be right with God. It's been accomplished through Jesus. Our relationship with God comes through trusting in Jesus and in His finished work. All of our sin been wiped away. And he makes that offer to the people at the cross. He makes it offer to the people who are mocking him. He makes it offer to the people that crucified him. He makes it offer to the people who testified against him. He says, Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. As we accept God's gift, God begins a new walk with us. We begin a new walk with Him. Our spiritual well-being rests in the hands of our caring Heavenly Father. The cross reminds us of where all of this gets started. My relationship with God is a response of gratitude for all that he's done to bring me to himself. While Jesus is on the cross, literally dying, he speaks words of forgiveness. While people are insulting him, he speaks words of forgiveness. While people are mocking him, he speaks words of forgiveness. Luke 23, 35 says, the crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said, let him save himself. If he really is God's Messiah, the chosen one, the soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They call out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Jesus would rather save the people killing him and save himself. Jesus basically tells us what he thinks of the people gathered around the cross. They're ignorant. I mean, that's a harsh way of saying that, but he says they don't know what they're doing. Ignorance does not equal innocence. Just because we don't know doesn't mean we're forgiven. We're guilty whether we know it or not. And people are still guilty whether they know it or not. Like, people don't understand. Like, if Jesus is the only way to get to God, and, and they're like, well, no, I think there's other ways. And they, the ignorance does not equal innocence. Jesus is 
the way to the Father. And no one else paid the price to make that claim. No one else defeated death to prove that claim. The people mocking Jesus did so out of ignorance. The people who crucified him did so out of ignorance. But they were still guilty. And we are all guilty. Everyone is guilty. But here's the powerful thing about Jesus' words. He's offering forgiveness to the people in the most difficult moment of his life. And we've heard his teaching, right? We've heard him teach. He's taught some really good things. He's taught the things that say, bless those who curse you and pray for those who hurt you. He taught it on the Sermon on the Mount, right? In Matthew 5, 43. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. Now, 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 this is where the teaching is lived. This is where you, you really see, does he believe what he was preaching, right? That's what happens in all of our lives. When things get pressured, our true character comes out. And in the most pressure-filled moment in history, Jesus' true character comes out. You see him offer forgiveness in the midst of torture. He prays for them, and he forgives them. Jesus' response is basically a prayer. He asks the Father to forgive. Let me ask you a question. How hard is it for us to forgive? How difficult is it for us to forgive people who say things to us that we don't agree with? How quickly are we willing to dismiss people and not talk to people because we don't agree with them or they don't agree with us? Like we've got an example here that should give us a lot of grace for people, period. Like because so far, none of us have had to forgive the people killing us. I know that because you're here. Okay, it's pretty confident. You, you may have suffered some persecution in your life, but you haven't suffered this. And in this moment, Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Let me just push a little harder there for just a moment. How quickly are you to dismiss those who don't agree with you politically? I don't care what side of the aisle you'll come from. Are you willing to allow people to go into eternity, separate from God, because of their political opinions? Are you willing to set them apart? Are you willing to say, it's okay for you to go to hell because you don't agree with me politically? Ooh, might be a little too straightforward today. What are we willing to not forgive? For people to go to hell. Are we willing to put up with a little persecution? So the people hear the message of Jesus. Are we not sharing the gospel with people? Because of what they might say. 
Or are we not sharing the gospel because of things they have said? Like, there are people that respond pretty negatively to communication about Jesus. Are we willing to let that keep us from sharing? Look, my suggestion for you is to find this prayer that Jesus prayed and begin to put it into your vocabulary and put it into your heart. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. How quickly should that prayer come? That should be the prayer that hits our hearts often. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. I'll give you an illustration from my, my cousin's world. And, and, and my cousin is a missionary in Turkey and sharing Jesus with people. And one day he is having coffee with some people that he's met in a coffee shop in Turkey who are Muslims. And he's having a conversation. They say to him, straightforward, look, we can show you hundreds and thousands of people who have converted from Christianity to Muslim, but you can't show me anybody who's converted from Muslim to Christian. He said, well, you'll be here tomorrow. I'll bring a friend with me. He brings his friend, and when he brings his friend, who was a Turkish man, converted to following Jesus, he said the friends that he had had coffee with for months suddenly went crazy. He said, in fact, I thought we were both were about to be dragged out and killed. This goes on for a while. They finally get done, and they get in the car, and they're getting ready to leave, and my cousin says to his friend, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. We've never been like that. He said, he looked at my cousin and said, well, am I bloody? No. Did they beat me? No. Am I still okay? Yeah. All's well. I count it a privilege. Suffer. Be mocked for Jesus, my Savior. Wow. He has a different perspective. If you'd asked him the next day, he'd have gone right back in there again, had the conversation over and over again with those group of men because he had an opportunity to share the message of Jesus and he had already forgiven them because he understood. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. It reminds us of a, of a New Testament guy in the early church, right? What happens to a guy named Stephen? He looks toward heaven as he's being stoned to death. And he says, don't hold this against them. But when we look at what Jesus does, Jesus takes something that is incredible, right? He, he has communicated, he's taught. He said, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who, who hurt you. Do those things. And then he lives it out. And so in our lives, the first thing we ought to be in every situation is forgiving and grace-filled. Let me ask you a question. If we live that way in our lives, wherever we go, if we lived grace-filled, forgiving lives, I'm just guessing, 
just a guess on my part. But I'm guessing people would see a difference in you and me. That they would, ref- they would see a reflection of Jesus. And they would see Christ in us. So that's my challenge to you a little bit, right? Live this way. Live this, live this way of, Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. Forgiveness really matters. Because if we don't live in forgiveness, and we don't forgive people, we won't be forgiven. The same Jesus that taught all those other things taught this as well. Matthew 6.14, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Again, not very misunderstandable. Pretty straightforward. We have to forgive to be forgiven. And I don't know at this moment if God is placing somebody in your mind that you need to forgive. But if He does, do it quickly. If God speaks to you about somebody that you need to forgive, you need to do it fast. Why? <laughs> because we'll forget or we'll excuse it away. Jesus could have waited. He didn't. He verbalized the words on the cross. Father, God knew already. He didn't need to verbalize it. He did so for us. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. People that hurt you, Father, forgive them don't know what they're doing. They could be clouded by the sin in their lives, which in all likelihood is what it is. They could be used by the enemy, which is a possibility as well. They could just be doing it out of straight ignorance. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. If you and I, as followers of Jesus, live lives of forgiveness and grace, reflective of the cross, reflective of Jesus, we will make an incredible difference in lives around us. Romans 8, 34. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting at the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. You don't think you can forgive? Jesus is interceding for you. When I don't think I can forgive, Jesus is interceding for me. Jesus is at work in our lives. The Holy Spirit is at work in our lives. He is wanting us 
to reflect him. And forgiveness is one of the greatest places that we can reflect Christ. Because it's a hard act to do. But in forgiveness, you reflect Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you, God, for what you've done for us, for setting us free, for bringing us hope, for giving us life. Lord, I pray for anybody in this room who's not a follower of you, who's maybe questioned at times who you are and what you've done. God, today, would you speak and would you extend your grace and your forgiveness once again? Lord, I pray that there's not a single person in this room God, I pray that you minister your grace, minister your kindness. Lord, accomplish what you want in these moments. God, may you be glorified in all of our lives. Jesus' name.